For seven weeks throughout October and November, Erica and I will be traveling across the U.S. recording a web series called Untethered on the Road, sponsored by portable power company Tilt, T-Y-L-T. You can follow along by checking into Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Tilt Products, that's T-Y-L-T, or head to Tilt.com. And be sure to come back later in the year at Tilt Products on YouTube and check out the video web series following our adventures across the country. And now we return to your regularly scheduled programming. Hashtag live untethered. Welcome to episode 39 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan, coming to you from Kirby Billingsby Hydro Park near East Wenatchee, Washington. That's right, I'm not in Erica's closet today. She and I have been traveling for the last couple of weeks across the U.S. We are currently in Washington where we have a brief respite from the 30-so hours of rain we had yesterday through this morning. On today's show, we have Levi Arnone. He is helping continue what is being referred to by me and no one else as Freefall Month. He is a canyoneer, climber, but most importantly, the things we talk to him on this show about, he is a skydiver, a base jumper, and a wingsuit flyer. One of the things I really like about Levi is that he doesn't fit this dumb adrenaline junkie bro stereotype that I think a lot of people have about base jumpers. He is a highly intelligent, very personable, very well enmeshed member of society. And I'd like to send a special thanks to Francisco from episode 25, who is the person who put me in touch with Levi because he knew I was trying to talk to base jumpers. And so he got us in touch with each other. So thank you, Francisco. And if you haven't listened to his episode, Functional Fitness Freak, go back to episode 25 and check that out. A quick note, if you listened to the last episode with Skydive Monroe, you may have heard me talk about my second tandem jump. And in this episode, you will hear me speak about only having jumped once. I'm sure you'll figure it out on your own, but just to clarify, this episode with Levi was recorded back in May, a couple of months before the Skydive Monroe episode, so that is why that discrepancy exists. So without further ado, without wasting any more time, let's go talk to Levi Arnone. Francisco hit me up and I like found your page on Instagram. I was like, man, I did not picture him looking like he looked. That, I'm always interested in that because I do the same thing. I hear people's voice, I picture something, and then I see their picture and I'm like, that's not anything. Yeah. How different? What did you picture? I, I don't know. I just pictured like more like business style, I guess I would say. Would be like <laughs> oh, really? more for, yeah, for some reason, just the way the voice comes off. I was like, it's not who I would have thought he was if I saw him on the street. That's but, hilarious yeah. because like I'm not even wearing deodorant right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even really comb or brush my hair. I say that like my hair is just a mass of cowlicks. Yeah. So I just put enough water in my hair till the cowlicks yeah. do as little damage as possible. My name's Levi Arnone. It's actually Michael Levi Arnone, but I go by my middle name because my dad's name is Mike. Because you think jeans are cool? Some people called me jeans in high school. Oh, really? um, yep. So that was cool. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. I've lived in St. George for about eight years now since high school, since I got out of high school. So I've been down here. I went to college, got my degree in communications, got a good job. So I stayed working here. And When you say communications, do you mean communications like my degree, which is mass comm broadcasting or a different type of communication? Yeah. So my degree was in human comm with a minor in mass comm journalism. 
So what does that put you, what does that mean you do for a living now? In, in college, I did some newspaper stuff. That's an industry that's booming. Yeah, right. <laughs> podcasts. Podcasts. It's kind of, we did stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, if you could do podcasts, <laughs> newspaper, you'd be set for life. <laughs> so yeah, we did some stuff like that. And then uh, the job that I work for now is it's call relay service for deaf and hard of hearing individuals. So essentially provide captioning for telephone calls. Oh, okay. I, I am familiar with that. So this is very unfortunate, but most of my experiences with relay chat phone calls have been Nigerian scams when I worked at a bookstore like 10 years ago. <laughs> We're nothing like that. It's all US-based. It's a really great company. They do a lot of great service for helping millions of people every day, which is a good feeling when you when you go home. And it's great. So people who can't speak, they can they can still speak with everyone else. And then they still have the same opportunities to be scam artists that people who can speak can be also. <laughs> I guess that's right. Yes. <laughs> no, actually, I think it's probably pretty awesome what you do. I just think it's quite sad that my soul experience with it has been in that regard. But anyway, people tuning in right now might be thinking like, man, all right, this isn't what I thought this episode was going to be about. Yeah. <laughs> you got a degree in, in mass comm. Mm -hmm. You live in St. George. You're from Salt Lake City. And sometimes you go outside your house and do things outside your house, right? Every now and again, yeah. I like I like to get out, like to mow the lawn, you know, things <laughs> like that. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about extreme lawn mowing. All right. I'm definitely an outdoor enthusiast. If I can do it, I will. I like to try everything. There's not enough time in the day. You're teasing everything. There's one thing that you're gonna mention and actually I'm pretty excited because it's a it's it's something I've been wanting to talk to somebody about for a long time. All right. So I, you probably know what I'm talking I, about. I I will catch that one last then. <laughs> Let the suspense build, I guess. <laughs> People just read the description of this yeah, episode. Like, oh, they're they're I'm just going to look him up now. <laughs> I'm into the canyoneering. Um, I do a lot of climbing. I'm climbing a couple days a week after work and some weekends. Um, I'm a skydiver. I've gotten into the wingsuit stuff, base jumping fairly recently. Haven't done any wingsuit base stuff yet. Planning a trip to Switzerland to Lauterbrunnen this summer, August, September time should be interesting. <laughs> Bass is one of those things that is extremely interesting to me and is the only thing my girlfriend has ever said, you're not allowed to do that one. She's like, you can do everything else, but if you do that one, we're breaking up. <laughs> that's that's a good out to have, I guess. <laughs> Bass, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's definitely one of the more dangerous things you can do. People think we're crazy. A lot of people don't understand it until they do it, and it's not for everybody. I got into skydiving with the intention of wanting to base jump. Uh, skydiving is kind of a prerequisite. Most people who will teach you the base class will not teach you with less than 150 skydives. And so that's what I did. I did my 150 skydives. I took a base course um, through Bad Seed Base. Got started last May. It's actually, it'll be a year over, over Memorial Day. It'll be a year that I've been base jumping. So, so on the off chance, and I think there's a very small chance of this, that someone listening to this is like, what the hell is base jumping. If by some chance they haven't heard about it by now, do you want to give a quick explanation of what separates base jumping from skydiving? Okay, so skydiving is out of a plane, something where you have plane, helicopter, um, hot air balloon. Those are forms of skydiving. You have a lot of altitude. You have a backup parachute, a reserve parachute. Base is actually an acronym for building antenna span and earth so span would be bridge antenna is like going to be your radio towers things like that i guess what makes base jumping dangerous is you don't really have a lot of separation from an object to give you an idea skydiving we're deploying our parachutes between 2500 and 3000 feet base jumping we're jumping off of stuff regularly that's 300 feet tall sometimes lower than that 100 uh, the lowest thing i've jumped in in the time i've been doing it is 176 feet which is it's pretty low you pretty much deploy immediately in that case right for something that short you're gonna go static line or pca um, static line is basically where you tie your pilot chute which is connected to your parachute to a rock or cliff and it's it's connected to brake cord, and brake cord takes 80 pounds of pressure to brake. So when you jump, it actually pulls your parachute and everything out for you and starts to f inflate at line stretch, and then the brake cord breaks. Pilot chute assist is where you'd have a buddy hold on to your pilot chute, and they basically pull everything out for you, and you float away. That's the plan. I think if everything goes as planned. <laughs> right, theoretically. <laughs> you said you specifically got into skydiving to get into base jumping. So when in your life did that happen and what made you want to follow that path? About a year before I got into skydiving, I had gone down and done a tandem down in Las Vegas uh, with, a, with a friend for her birthday. 
Uh, me and a few friends went down. I loved it at that point. I was hooked. I started looking up how I could get gear, how to get licensed, realized that it was expensive. <laughs> and so I kind of put it on hold until I was done with college. And then after I finished college, I decided that I was, well, I went through a breakup. Every major event in my life has revolved around around a breakup. <laughs> so you No, know, it's funny because I know you say you listen to this show, so I don't know how, how many episodes you've listened to, but if you ever listen to the first episode, I talk about the exact same thing, how going through a big breakup was like the impetus that moved, that brought me into all this stuff too. So I think that's a very common thread. Yeah. And it, I think it's just finding something new and exciting. So, I mean, when I went through that breakup, I got a dirt bike and I've been riding dirt bikes since I was super young. So it wasn't anything new to me. Um, the excitement just wasn't there. So I decided to bite the bullet and start skydiving and went through the AFF, the accelerated free fall courses to get licensed down at Skydive Mesquite, which is my home drop zone now. Just kind of took off from there. Uh, I guess it was last February. I got my coach rating. So I'm able to help new students and jump with people who need recurrency jumps. Um, basically with every license, there's a certain time frame. You have to jump a certain amount of times within a certain number of months, or you have to get a recurrency jump. So I do that stuff now. I, I fly outside video for people who go and do tandems and get the pictures and video, things like that. And coming up, once I reach my jump numbers, I'll be getting my tandem rating and then my AFF rating so I can teach other people how to skydive. Talking about getting your AFF certification, and you said you specifically wanted to move into wingsuit, mm -hmm. which some people maybe would know as the thing that a lot of people call the squirrel suit. Yes. If they don't know what it's what it's called. Do you want to explain the wingsuit to people who might be a little confused about that, if by some chance they haven't seen that? And then maybe we can talk about <laughs> where it sounds like you're headed, which is proximity flying. Yes. So. Uh, which is what my girlfriend will definitely dump me if I try to do. Yeah, and I, I want I wouldn't blame her at that point either. <laughs> as far as wingsuiting goes, even in a skydiving environment, it's much more dangerous. The best way I could describe it is like skydiving in a straight jacket. That, that does not make it sound as exciting. As no. It, or that doesn't make it sound as attractive as it probably is. Yeah. So there's prerequisites. You have to have 200 Certifiably jumps. insane. Just like with a straight jacket, right? <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, that's what that's what people probably think for sure. There, like I said, there is prerequisites. You have to have your 200 jumps before you can even get zipped up in a, in a wingsuit. Then there's different sizes of wingsuits for beginner, intermediate, advanced, expert. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. What, what differs between them? So the size of the wings, um, there's the grippers that you hold on to with your hands. Some of them don't have any grippers, um, which makes it very easy to reach back and deploy your parachute. There's some that have grippers that are, gosh, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 inches long. And so basically you have a stick that you're holding on to and when you reach back it can get in your way and then the wing size the, the the size of the tail wing can be really long or it can be you know come down to your calf muscle so those are the the major differences and the more fabric you get the more it can be a little more unforgiving it's a lot more fabric uh, that you have to reach around to deploy your parachute flat spins i mean essentially the function like an airplane um, you get lift through through that they inflate like a parachute so i assume as you progress through it, the suit is probably getting more maneuverable. They're bigger, so you're going to get more speed, more okay. a bigger glide ratio, um, more hang time. Essentially, that's that's how they're designed. And then there's different kinds of suits. There's suits that are strictly designed for speed, just to go fast. There's suits that are designed for flight time, and there's suits that are designed for acrobatics, so do, flying on your back, flying head down, things like that. You really do choose your suit based on what you want to accomplish that jump. Yeah, so um, I started in a, a Squirrel Swift is what I started in. Um, now they're making a Swift 2, uh, so they've changed some things. I put probably 100 jumps on my Swift while I was learning, became competent flying that, flying on my back, doing those kinds of things. And then uh, I just recently, a couple... Weeks ago, I uh, graduated to a Squirrel Freak, which is their new <laughs> suit that's that, that came out. And it's essentially a great suit for everything. You can base jump it. It's got a, a fast inflation. You can skydive it. You can fly on your back. It's kind of an all-around suit, which is awesome. You can fly it with everybody. So it's a lot of fun. So you had to do 150, 200-ish jumps before mm -hmm. they'd allow you to start doing 
wingsuit flying. You said you just moved to a new suit. So how many jumps does that place you at in wingsuit at this point? In a wingsuit, I've got about probably 200 jumps in a wingsuit. I'm I'm just over f- about 430 jumps, I think, is about where I'm at now. To get your tandem rating, you have to be at 500. Something that a lot of people don't know that might be interesting is you actually have to have 200 jumps to wear a camera. So even if you just want to put a GoPro on your head, people show up to the drop zone after they are done with AFF and they're like, put their camera on their head and they're like, no, sorry, you know, the the prerequisite is 200 jumps. And the reason why is because, first of all, it's a distraction. People are so worried about getting the coolest video or did they get that shot and they're not paying attention to their altitude. So you're saying that maybe being distracted while you're plummeting towards the ground is a bad idea? Might be a bad idea. <laughs> And then the other reason is it's actually a snag hazard. So your lines can easily get wrapped around your your camera and pull your head off or, you know, cause a malfunction with your parachute. Um, the first death actually occurred a couple, I think it was probably a couple months back um, out in Arizona. A guy was swooping, which is like a high performance turn. Um, and when he pulled down his front riser that's connected to the front of your parachute, it got caught on his camera and he couldn't get it untangled so he kind of just turned directly into the ground those those gopro mounts are pretty strong um and that's why we try and make everything we do as safe as possible i guess we try and make everything snag resistant so we try and not use the gopro mounts and use things that are flat or that don't have edges so I mean, where it's paracord, it gets easily wrapped around things. So I want to point out something. You said you're approaching 500 jumps. And I think a lot of people listening who aren't into skydiving or base jumping would think like, holy crap, how do you do that many jumps? Take a moment and explain to us how you go about, because I think people think like, oh man, that's like $100 a jump. That's not the case, right? That isn't the case. And although it is expensive, it, it does get it doesn't really get cheaper. I mean, it does in some <laughs> regard. So when you start and you're going through AFF program, yeah, you're paying about 100, I'd say on average, $185 a jump. And then after you're done with your AFF program, you go to get your A license, which is 25 jumps. And you are essentially doing like coach jumps. So you might be paying for a coach to jump with you. And each jump is between I would say twenty two and twenty eight thirty dollars, depending which, on the which drop zone. Much much more reasonable. Correct. Yeah, and then you pay for a, a rental fee for gear if you don't have your own gear. So that's twenty at our drop zone. It's twenty two dollars per jump, um, and then you have to pay to get it packed, which is most packers will pack it for six or seven bucks until you learn how to pack and you don't want to get the cheapest packer oh no that makes it more exciting (laughs) yeah just the slam it out pack jobs gives it a little bit more intensity so yeah there's there's those things that you definitely go through once you get your own gear and that's the thing that people fail to recognize is is the gear is so expensive um so when i go down and jump i'm paying 26 dollars a jump but instead of going and doing one jump at $185, I go down and do six or seven jumps for the day, and I'm still at that $185 bill. With the gear, if you're buying things new and you get a container, which is what holds your parachute, your harness, if you buy one of those new, you can get one for $2,500, bucks on the cheap side, all the way up to four or $5,000 for just the container. And then you pay you know, $1,300 to $1,500 for a reserve, $2,200 for a main parachute, $1,300 for an AAD, which is a automatic activation device. Um, so if you're unconscious, something like that, it's designed to deploy your reserve parachute for you at 750 feet. Oh, really? It's that low. Is it adjustable? Can you choose a different altitude if you wanted to? Uh, they're they're adjustable based on the manufacturer. So some, de- like they arm at 1,000, deploy at 750. Um, for like a tandem, they're much higher because they're pulling at 6,000 feet, not 3,000 feet. Um, so there's different ones for student tandems and pros, which is just people who know how to skydive. Like I said, it's expensive, but you can find used gear for, um, like good used gear for about $3,000, $3,500 for a complete system that will get you into the jumping and and then you can buy, I guess, new stuff that's fit to you later. I could see buying used gear being kind of frightening, though, just because you don't know the history. You don't want to really want to buy used climbing harnesses or ropes. <laughs> and yeah. This is a very similar situation. <laughs> very similar. Talk to your rigger. <laughs> Talk to your DZO or your, you know, your 
um, as TNA, your safety and training advisor, and and let them know what you're buying, and they'll be able to help you out with if it's a good deal or if it's not a good deal, if it's safe. Nobody wants to sell anybody poor gear. We're all in it together, and I, I feel like it's the climbing community. I, I feel like we all really look out for each other. It's You can get some good gear for it's a good a, deal. It's a lot to have on your conscience if you willingly sell somebody something that you know is dangerous for them to own. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a lot to have. Yeah. It's karma, it's too. It's kind of like being a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So don't be murderers, people. Only sell good used materials. That's good advice. <laughs> I like that. I'm pointing that out. I don't know if you saw recently Petzl issued a recall on some of their uh, Aspire harnesses because apparently some retailers or some questionable online retailers were I did see patching that patching them up and selling them. I did see that, which I I didn't know. I did see that recall. I think I saw it on Facebook. Black Diamond was issuing a bunch of recalls yeah, for cams yeah, and. Yeah slings and it all kinds like of stuff. It seemed like a lot of theirs were very obvious, though. Yes, like, they oh, were. They're... It's taped together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, I would have totally used that. <laughs> that. That makes me remember, and now that Sports Chalet is going out of business, we can diss on them. The local Sports Chalet near me in uh, La Cunada in, in Los Angeles, I went one time, and like when you buy cams, a lot of places where you buy climbing cams, a lot of times they're behind a glass or something. You have to yeah. ask, and they take them out. Well, at Sports Chalet, they had them on the rack. So they didn't want people to steal these $70 devices, so they put security tags, uh-huh. those clothing tags with a pin. Through the, through, wow. Through the webbing. And I went in one day, and I saw that, and then I noticed shortly afterwards that there were no cams at the store anymore, and then when I went back, they no longer did that. That's crazy. So at some point, somebody realized that they were compromising the yeah. safety of the product that they were selling by doing Wow, that. that's crazy. <laughs> I'd, I'd never heard of that. Yeah. But anyway, so at some point, you went from jumping out of airplanes. Oh, I'm going to digress this again. How sick are you of hearing the joke, jumping out of a perfectly good airplane? How many times have you heard that? I've heard it more than I care to admit. <laughs> and the answer is always the same. There's no perfectly good airplane. <laughs> we have a great airplane in Mesquite. It's a, it's a caravan. It's a turbine engine caravan. It's a, it's a million dollar airplane and it's held together by shirt tape. <laughs> if, if, if there's anything I can get out to the audience today, I would like people to stop making the because every time somebody and I don't really, I don't skydive. I've only done one tandem jump before. Partly because if I get into it, I'll go the path you're going, yeah. and then I won't have a girlfriend. It gets anymore. out of hand real quick, <laughs> and I'll be broke. But I get sick of hearing people make the "Why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane?" joke, and they all make it as if they have just thought of that joke themselves for the first time. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, and you ever make the jump out of a perfectly good airplane joke, stop immediately. Stop and don't make that anymore. That's a that's my PSA for the day. <laughs> I like that. That that would be great. Everybody that comes to the drop zone says that. You'll be happy when you start doing tandem jumps that you won't hear it from every single client. But anyway, back to transitioning from jumping out of an airplane to jumping off of stationary objects attached to the earth or part of the earth. Mm -hmm. How did that transition go? And do you want to tell me a little bit about that first base jump? Because I'm sure it's an experience you still remember. Like I said, I got into skydiving with the intention of doing the base stuff. I went with a friend to the bridge in Idaho, the Perrine Bridge. Um, it's the only man-made structure in the United States that's legal to jump from. Is it legal year-round or just on bridge day? It's legal year-round. On bridge day, there's one bridge in uh, Virginia, I think is where it's at. That is, It's actually a very high bridge, and it's in a national park from what I understand. And it's legal to jump from once a year and it's like $400 for one jump. And now they're starting to do this thing where they want to take your fingerprint. I I think it's kind of on its way out and they've started to make bridge day at the bridge in Idaho where it's really supported and the locals don't mind it. But yeah, so we went up to the bridge. The bridge is 486 feet. Basically what that means is from the top of the bridge at the highest point to the water is five and a half seconds to impact. So you can take a good, you know, three second delay and have enough altitude to still land on the beach or, you know, land. There are people that jump off of it with a round parachute um, and they'll land right in the water, their swimsuit on and stuff, have a boat pick them up. So that's really cool. But yeah, so I went out there and did the course with Brandon from Bad Seed. He's the owner of Bad Seed Base. Went out there with a couple friends. We learned the packing of a, a base parachute, which is completely different than a skydiving parachute. Because the deployment is totally different, right? The deployment's pretty the same, um, but you're essentially you're taking out every possible thing that could go wrong.
wrong, you're being that meticulous when you pack it. Whereas a skydiving parachute, you can pack in, I don't know, I can pack one in probably seven minutes, 10 minutes. And you're just kind of throwing it over your shoulder. You roll it up, you shove it in and you have a reserve parachute if you need it. That's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more, you know, structured than that. (laughs) Well, I would certainly hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But base jumping, you know, you're laying everything out. You're at least I, there's different ways to pack, but I flat pack everything. Um, so I laid on the ground. I make sure all my lines are where they're supposed to be. I make sure all the fabric works supposed to be. You're using clamps to hold everything together. And then you're rolling it into your container because you only have one chance at saving your life. You don't have enough altitude at, to deploy a, a reserve parachute. And another thing that people don't really know, or most people probably don't know, is that base jumping uh, canopies are much bigger um, and they're made out of a different material as well. Um, so they will open faster. They're more docile, so they're much more forgiving. They're all seven cells, whereas skydiving canopies can be seven cell or nine cell. Um, I'm like 185 pounds, and my skydiving parachute is 120 square feet. My base jumping canopy is 266 square feet. So you want to get lots lots of material over your head. Uh, keep you safe and lets you float for longer distances to get to your landing area. Most landing areas in the base environment aren't very friendly. There's trees and boulders and water. Rivers. And- so, sorry, I guess sidetracked. But, yeah, so we went to the course. First jump was a PCA, a pilot shoot assist, so you can kind of get used to controlling your parachute. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I don't tend to get very nervous or scared when I do things. Um, which can be very bad. That's the way I was with skydiving. That's kind of the way I was with base jumping. I didn't get really nervous. I actually get way more nervous and scared climbing than I do base jumping. That's what I was about to ask is if you're the same way in climbing because sometimes climbing can be terrifying. Yeah, I get get really terrified. I mean, I, I, you know, scream like a little girl sometimes on the wall when I feel like I can't hold on anymore and base jumping, I just, uh, you're careful, but you, I never really get those feelings. So yeah, the first jump was super cool. I climbed out over the rail and I still remember Brandon telling me, I've never seen somebody just climb over the rail like that and not be shaking a little bit <laughs> or, you know, be a little bit nervous. Cause I just climbed over and went for it and it was awesome. I just couldn't wait to go again. It was quite the experience and they, they do uh, tandem base jumps at the bridge as well. Oh, really? So, cause I've always been curious about this because the perceived danger of base jumping versus skydiving is so much higher and, and probably justly so. Are there very many outfitters that will train you in base jumping? Plus so many places you're not allowed to do it. So it seems like there's so many more hurdles to jump through. Yeah. So um, there are different base companies that will teach you. There's, I mean, there's like Jesse Hall, who's part of the GoPro Bomb Squad. He teaches a base course. There's Apex Base, Jimmy Marta. They'll teach you a base course. They're they're very reputable. They're a great company. They make great gear. Sean Schuma, anybody who's in the base community knows who Sean Schuma is. He is the one that does the tandem bases up in uh Idaho. He does ID base, I think is what his course is called. Um, he also teaches an advanced course, which teaches you aerials, flips, things like that. There's a lot of a lot of different ones, and, and that is part of the problem with base. Most people will go learn at the bridge. It's relatively safe in comparison to jumping off of anything else, because if you do get an off-heading opening where your parachute doesn't open straight, you can just fly right under the bridge. You don't fly in back into a wall but it's still going to be a dangerous sport you can still get hurt people can still die you have to be careful so there are a lot of places we know you're not allowed to jump you're not allowed to jump off of buildings correct you're not allowed to jump in national parks correct <laughs> i don't know if that stretches out to national forest and everything else so where are you allowed to jump and is a lot of it just choosing to jump in the places where you're not allowed and then dealing with the consequences or attempting to escape before there are consequences to deal with. Anybody who listens to this that um, might be more advanced in base could probably speak to it more um, because I'm still like a baby bird, even in skydiving. I mean, there's people in skydiving that have, you know, 20,000 jumps and I've got 500 jumps almost. Well, if you start doing tandem, you're going to be yeah, you rack them up, up pretty quick. quickly. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So the best place to base jump is going to be BLM land, government owned land that you can do whatever you want on. Moab is like a mecca for base, um, but it's all very low, low cliffs, 400 there's some that are higher there's a lot that are lower but it's i mean you can drive five minutes outside of town and you can jump um, it's perfectly legal and nobody will bother you uh, locally here in saint george we have a few jumps that are 
on BLM land. And we just try not to advertise necessarily what we're doing, even though it is legal. We try not to spread it all over the place because it's only a matter of time before they're going to be like, oh, we're, we're going to have to shut that one down now or you can't do it. But we respect the property just, you know, um, just like climbers. We Whatever we pack in, we pack out. We leave no trace. We don't set cairns. Nothing like that because we don't want to draw attention to the object that we're jumping. National parks, it's super illegal. State parks, it's illegal. The consequences are federally regulated or state regulated. Are you familiar with the documentary that came out a year or so ago, Sunshine Superman? I am, yes. It's a great movie. Yeah, Watch it's, it. It's really good. I highly recommend it to anyone listening to this. It gives a very good history of the sport, and it also deals with things like it becoming illegal in national parks in that short period of time mm-hmm. when it was legal in Yosemite. Yes. And I read into the history of that a little bit after I saw that a little further. And the thing that I found interesting, at least according to this account, it doesn't sound like it became fully illegal again in Yosemite because of the danger of the activity it was because of the mistreatment of the environment of some of the people who were doing it so apparently some people were driving up the sides of or driving up trails that they weren't supposed to drive up and like trashing things so according to this account that was what the park was trying to stop i have no doubt that they're also terrified of dealing with the liability consequences of potential deaths and witnesses to those things and that and that makes sense and i i can't really speak to that because i don't know why they would have right. i mean and, there's and i don't even know that we were alive or cognizant yeah, at the time yeah. That, that was happening. yeah that was ways back yeah and there i mean that's the thing in yosemite it's still if, if i'm not mistaken it's still legal to paraglide and hang glide there right um which is kind of unusual this subject has come up multiple times around the base community. Yeah, I'm sure it's a very popular conversation you have yes. with a beer at the end. Yes, of the exactly, day. because there is so many potential exits in the national parks that are awesome and they're easily accessible and they're just beautiful. I mean, they're still jumped even though it's illegal. It's just like canyoneering. And because, it, I mean, not to cut you off, but because it's illegal, and not that this is the park's fault, because it's illegal, people jump at less than ideal times, which makes it even more dangerous. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was going to hit on. You know, you're if, it, if they could regulate it just like they do canyoneering, so many people can go jump this object, or just like so many people can go through a canyon, and it's X amount of dollars to be able to do it. If they had some sort of regulation like that, it would be great, and it would be used, and it's a way just to get them more money. Just like you said, instead of... Me being able to take a you know hour hike up to the top of Angel's Landing and jump off. Now people are hiking through unideal terrain for hours and hours and hours to get to this exit point that's out. I mean, technically it's still in park boundaries, but it's for far enough away that there's not people, so there's a less chance of getting caught. They're jumping with unfamiliar gear because if they get caught, they don't want their good gear to get confiscated. Or they're doing these hikes that are exhausting them and they get to the top and they're like, man, it's a little more windy than I would want it to be to jump. But I don't want to But I don't want to do a five-hour hike down. So, I'll, you know, is a risk worth it? And so more people die that way. And, I mean, people die every year canyoneering or climbing in the parks. Well, there's three people that have died in Zion just this year already climbing. And it's it's unfortunate. I just think if they regulated it that you'd get a better, much better result. It's interesting because I feel like whatever the perceived risk of an activity is, the higher that perceived risk goes up, the less forgiving the public is of it. So as soon as someone dies climbing, people in the public who aren't climbers are like, they're idiots, they deserved it, mm-hmm. they're adrenaline junkies risking their life, blah, yes. blah, blah. And then as you just go up the list to base jumping, which is even more dangerous, mm-hmm. I, I've heard someone say that they saw a base jumper die, I think in Yosemite, and he referred to it as a suicide. He said, that person forced me to watch their suicide. And that was the way he perceived that situation, which I can see his side to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that he would have said the same thing if one of the climbers fell off the wall. Correct. If he would have, if, yeah. if, if he would have had that same, like right? That. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate. Like, like I say, people die doing everything, and you said it: perceived risk. Everybody perceives risk differently, and we see it all the time when people come down to the drop zone to skydive, and they're like, is, is he going to die? Is he going to be okay? And millions of skydives are done every single year, 
and most people live, um, the death rate is very low in comparison to the number of jumps that are made. It's just the consequences are, exactly. are more drastic. Like people get in far more car accidents, but they're more likely to survive. You're more likely to die on your way to the drop zone than actually during the skydive itself. <laughs> so, But if something goes wrong and correct. it's not corrected, death is almost guaranteed. Correct. And most of the deaths that occur in skydiving are because people don't follow their emergency procedures or they're doing something that they, sh- I guess, shouldn't be doing. Every year, Parachutist Magazine does uh, statistics at the beginning of the year for the year previous and says this is how many deaths occurred, this is the result. And more often than not, it's the person didn't uh, listen to their hard deck, which is their altitude that they decide they're going to cut away and deploy their reserve. So they try and do that too low and then they impact. Or they didn't fix the malfunction that they had. They weren't properly trained in their emergency procedures, or they were properly trained, but they didn't choose to exercise that training in order to save their life. And that's where I would say most of the deaths occur in skydiving. And, that, and that's kind of how it is in all the activities in, in canyoneering or climbing. It's people wrapping off ends of ropes that it exactly. not or misrigging something and not testing it. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely that someone dies because they decided just to do something asinine. Exactly. It's usually overlooking something that they actually know how to do. But they uh-huh. just, for whatever reason, overlooked at that time. There is this huge perceived risk, and mm-hmm. there is a risk because I think the statistic is something like one in sixty, which is with which base, is not, yes, with base, not with skydiving, odds. right, yes. right, with base. So I'm sure you have friends, family members who have given you a hard time about it. Yeah, and and how do you deal with that situation? Yeah, and I mean, I've, I mean, I've only been in the base community for a year, almost a year, and I've had friends die already doing base jumping. Um, it's already been a really unfortunate year and it seems like a lot of people that have been dying haven't even been dying on the base jump themselves itself. It's been, you know, they were hiking to go to this exit point and they fell. Katie and, uh, Rami, I think was his name out in California. They were jumping Rubido, the bridge out there and they landed on the beach and the swell came up and took their parachutes in and, you know, he jumped in after, after her to save her and they both drowned. Yeah, I, I did hear about that pretty recently. Did they recover those bodies? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I feel like when I read about it, they hadn't been recovered. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly not sure. And I don't know all of the details either, right. so I don't want to say this right. is exactly what happened. But from what I've read and heard, that's kind of the way it went. And it's unfortunate. And this guy, Adam Crum, he, he said it best. Base didn't kill them. Friendship did. There's another guy, a friend of mine, Matt Blink. He's very well known stunt, stunt person, you know, super into base climbing, things like that. And he wrote uh, basically a blog post on his website about what base meant to him because there's all these different per- perceptions of what base is. Base for him is being able to act without having to think um, about what you're doing essentially like with Katie, you know, he didn't have to, Rami didn't have to think about, Oh, should I, should I take my gear off and go try and swim after her? Or should I, like, I'm probably going to die. He just did what he thought was the right thing to do. And yeah. So, I mean, my mom hates that I base jump, but she, she's always been a supporter for me and she knows that I'll be as safe as possible. And that's the other thing. You can take a sport and you can just make it more dangerous. Just like the base jumping thing, it's like, okay, well, how low can you pull? What kind of an object can you get away with? You know, uh, with the wingsuiting, it's how close to the terrain can you fly? Whereas before it was just proximity flying, which is where it's extremely dangerous. And, and that's just, that's just it is you can take something and you just push it to the next extreme. And before it was cool to, oh, I wingsuited off this cliff and I flew away from it. And now it's, And then it was, uh, I can fly next to the cliff, which is super cool. And then, oh, now I'm flying over the, you know, the ground, a foot above the ground or six inches above the ground and who, who can grab, like drag their feet on the grass, you know, and that's kind of the progression that it's taken. There's people doing some incredible stuff out there. People who have thousands and thousands of wingsuit base jumps. So the risk is definitely there, but it's as risky as you want to make it. So I think with this sport more than others, because I think we could easily sit here and argue that there are plenty of acceptable sports that are horribly dangerous. Football, uh-huh. extremely dangerous. Boxing, mm-hmm. MMA, yeah. these things are extremely dangerous. You're guaranteed to be hurt 
and quite likely physically or mentally damaged for the rest of your life. Yeah. But those are accepted because for the most part, people understand how they operate. But there is the immediate consequence of, of assured death with things like base jumping. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people, and you've probably even heard this, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer this to, to everyone. <laughs> okay. Is people say, well, you know it's dangerous. You know it might kill you. It's selfish of you because people care about you, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then they ask you to justify it. So here's your opportunity to either say, I shouldn't have to justify it, or at the very least explain why it's worth it to you. Well, that's definitely a hard thing to answer because it's different for everybody. And until you do it, you don't understand exactly what you're missing. or not necessarily missing, <laughs> but exactly the feeling that you're get getting um the freedom that comes with and and skydiving and base are just completely different sports so speaking to base um the freedom that comes from the silence and the stillness and then that rush that you get when you you know jump off of a cliff and your feet leave the ground and you're not quite falling but you haven't you know you're not tied to the earth anymore it's it's quite the feeling there there is no justification but what i can say is there's no one jump that's worth dying over always be willing to hike down always be willing to talk to your buddy that you're with and say hey man you know if you're not feeling it then i'll hike down with you or even say you know i'm i'm comfortable jumping but if you're not then then we'll hike down or I'll jump and you can hike down. But there's nothing in the sport that's like, oh, you know, you're a sissy because you didn't jump. Everything is calculated risk. I feel like most, I mean, people think we just, you know, hike up, jump, jump off the cliff and we're done. And it's the same with all the activities. People think that climbers are just, and canyoneers are uh-huh. just these irresponsible. And the thing is, if, if all these activities were full of irresponsible people, there would be far, far more, far more deaths. deaths than there are in all of these activities. Absolutely. There's there's a degree of responsibility you have to be willing to accept and if you're not then you will not fare in those activities absolutely you won't be accepted into most circles and those activities. exactly you have to you have to be safe and i mean most most of the cliffs that i mean i've been jumping in the short amount of time that i've been in the sport have already been opened meaning people have already jumped off of them my buddy and i have opened one maybe two two jumps now and you have to be able to you know, tell about how high it is by throwing a rock off the cliff. Um, you have to be able to look and see, okay, it might not be vertical. You look at the winds. If you're jumping in a canyon, then you're looking at catabatic flow and how the thermals, um, like you're looking at all of those things. So it's not like we just walk up and we're like, okay, the wind's, the wind's not bad. We'll jump. Um, it's sitting there and waiting to see if the wind's going to start blowing or if there's too much heat that's going to, you know, dust devils whatever it is. It's interesting because in a sense, it's almost like being a kayaker except in the air because you have to read the air the same way they have to read the water and then figure out. Because that's another thing I think people don't understand about whitewater kayakers is they don't necessarily run everything. They run what they know. They stop. They scout ahead. They read the water and then they make a decision based on their experience and knowledge. And you were doing the same thing just with air currents and features and... Exactly. And once you've done, you know, like for example, the kayaking, once you've done that line, you become more familiar and you can just go do it. And it's very similar with base jumping. Once you've jumped it and you, you know, you're you're familiar with the way the winds flow in and out of the canyon or what the winds are doing, it becomes a lot easier. But just like climbing, you know, you're checking your partner's gear. We do the same thing every time. We're checking our gear. We're making sure everything is good because we're trying to eliminate as much as we can the possibility of something failing. And and that's how you stay safe in base. For those that have seen Sunshine Superman, they know that the acronym was originally created so that everyone could attain their base number by jumping off of a building and some sort of antenna structure, some sort of span structure and some sort of earth structure. Uh So have you gotten your four? Do you have your base number? And if so, what is it? I have not completed base. The building. Are you you like bass or BS or what are you? I'm ace, I guess you could call it. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't, I haven't done a building. They're illegal. Yeah. Are there Um, any that are legal? uh, Not that I'm aware of. So so everyone that has a base number is admitting to a criminal act. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean that most of it happens like overseas and stuff, you know, in the UK, there's a bunch of people that jump buildings all the time, sky rises, and most of them are done at night in Vegas and Nevada actually it's a felony now to base jump 
off anything. It's just because so many people jumped the buildings down there on the strip that they couldn't just keep it at a misdemeanor anymore. Now it's a felony. So it's unfortunate, but even antennas, I mean, they're illegal. So I would love to get my base number, but I'm not after a base number. And, you know, I had this conversation with Brandon who, I mean, he's been base jumping for 16 years, I think is what it is. And he made a a good comment of nobody's ever going to, you know, if you die base jumping, they're not going to be like, yeah, but you know, he was base number 70. It's like, they (laughs) they don't care. It's just a number. It's strictly a thing. Yeah. You got to do it because you want to do a building, not because you have to get a base number. I, I think that's a great point to make is what we were talking about earlier, this perceived idea that people are irresponsible or, or crazy madmen. And exactly what you just said, which is you have to do this because you want to, not because you're trying to get this number or because you're Uh trying to meet this checklist. It's kind of the the opposite of the idea of the bucket list, which is you just do something because you need to check it off a list. It's yeah. You do something because you're actually you passionate do about it. doing it. Exactly. And that's, and that's exactly what it is. And anybody who wants to get into base, I strongly encourage not to do it. <laughs> I try and talk people out of it because it's just, if you want to, you're going to find a way um, and you're going to you know be adamant about getting into it. But, I mean, I'm not qualified to teach somebody how to base jump anyways. Matt, who is one of the owners of Squirrel, he wrote The Great Book of Base. And at the beginning of the book, it's got all these warnings about, you know, this isn't um, this isn't the Bible. This isn't, like, the only way to do things. And um, it says right in the front, if you're thinking about base, I strongly encourage you, like, rethink what you're doing and not get into base. And if you still think it's a good idea, then I would think about it again. Right. Um, like I say, if you if you really want to, you'll find a way. But it's definitely one of those things. It's niche sport. There's not a lot of people um, that do it. And not everybody that skydives wants to base jump. Some people are just content with the skydiving, and that's awesome. Um, and then there's the, you know, the few of us that want to take it a step further and see what it's like to jump off of something solid. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, kind of like what you said, if if you think you want to do it, don't do it. If you know you want to do it, then maybe you should consider <laughs> yeah, doing it. Exactly. And if you're going to half-ass it, you absolutely shouldn't ever do it. Exactly. So what sorts of things have you jumped off so far as you've started doing more base? Anybody who teaches the course recommends 50 jumps off the bridge. I think I did six off the bridge, eight off the bridge. I remember my ninth jump was an antenna. Most every other jump has been an E, which is earth. A lot of cliffs out in Moab, a couple cliffs here in St. George, some in Las Vegas, uh, well, outside of Las Vegas, cliffs outside of Las Vegas. Um, Antennas, those are the main things that I jump off of. I think I've only got, I'm about 50, I think, base jumps now, which is super low numbers. When you jump from an antenna, because they have all those guidelines, right? Correct, yeah. So that's something you have to be very aware of. Yes. Right, so you don't tangle yourself in that. Is it actually maybe a little more tricky to jump off an antenna than off of a cliff? Not necessarily. Not really. Yeah. Basically, you just climb up the middle of it and you get on the outside and you jump off. Uh, the guy wires are more than 90 degrees apart. Um, but a cliff could be, I mean, if you have a flat wall, you could have 180 degrees of, you know, heading that you can play with, but it doesn't necessarily mean that one's safer than the other. If you deploy at the right altitude, I guess you can fly under a guy wire, which is cool where you can't do that with a cliff. You can't fly under a cliff. You just fly right into it. <laughs> <laughs> you can attempt yeah, to fly under a cliff. Y- you could. I think I t- might've told you about this prior, but I went out to uh, Moab, Castle Valley, with my friend Matt and we climbed the north face of Castleton. Um, it goes 11B and we jumped off Castleton Tower. Um, that was my first off heading opening that was more than, you know, 90 degrees. I had a 180 degree off heading opening. So when my parachute opened, it was actually flying right back into the cliff. And that's kind of like what Matt had said. You, it's, it's being able to react without thinking just you're gonna do it and you notice that your canopy's falling you know flying in the wrong direction you hurry and correct it out of instinct that's why base jumping is so dangerous because as soon as your parachute flies into that cliff basically you're riding it all the way to the bottom and you'll probably live 
but you're going to be pretty broken. I'm sure you've seen the same video that I've seen, and I forget. It's like either in like Moab or Smith Rock or something like that. You know which one I'm talking yeah, about already, I know which don't one you? You're talking about where he he gets turned back towards a cliff and yep. then hits the only feature that's jutting yep. out of the rock and then tumbles to the ground and survives. I, I think that's actually Wall Street in Moab, a um, okay. popular climbing area. Yeah, so it's it's scary to think about for sure, and you always have that in the back of your mind because if you don't, then you're not going to be prepared for you know if you think every parachute's going to open perfectly on heading and you're going to fly away from that with a rainbow overhead that's not the way it works um so you definitely have to you have to be on your a game with every jump and if you're not feeling it you just don't do it there's been multiple times that i've spent an hour and a half hiking and i get to the top and i'm like oh i just it's something's not feeling right or it's windy uh, i'm just gonna hike down that's all part of the adventure the actual jump is the cherry on top yeah, so you mentioned climbing climbing castleton and then jumping off of it which is something i also wanted to talk about because it seems like the perfect combination of worlds to be able to climb a route and then not have to descend it but to be able to fly off of it is that the only time you've done that or are you looking to do more of that uh, uh, where you can get away with it yeah i would like i would definitely like to do more towers uh, more climb to base uh, missions so we could call it it's definitely something that not everybody can do which separates separates us i feel like you know some people can climb some people can jump some people can do both but they can't do both together you know castleton was a great example people have climbed and jumped it before i steph davis she freed it and then and then jumped it she i, I think she did she free solo it i don't know if she free soloed it or just freed it but she's done it multiple times whereas other people like They'll be like, yeah, you climb it and set a rope and I'll use some ascenders and I'll, you know, jug up it and, and jump it. So yeah, definitely on the list to do some more, obviously legal ones. Or at least that you'll mention on this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, the, most of the legal stuff, just, it's not worth getting caught or having to sneak around and everything's just much more risky and it's, I don't think it's worth it in most cases. Financial consequences are huge. I mean, other than just the fine and the potential jail time and other things, but then having to repurchase your gear because it'll be confiscated, correct? Exactly, yeah. What are your thoughts on the future of this sport? Do you think it's only a matter of time before it becomes regulated, before it becomes accepted in more places? Or do you think it's going to be one of those sports that kind of stays on the fringe? I think it will continue to be just kind of where it's at. I think it will slowly be a little bit more accepted because so many more people are getting into it thanks to media and social media and the movies and all this, you know, wingsuit based stuff. And, but that's also why people are dying a lot faster is because before, you know, people were having thousands of thousands of wingsuit jumps out of an airplane, um, and thousands and thousands of just regular base jumps before they were even thinking about putting a wingsuit on and jumping off a cliff. Now people, you know, they get to their 200 jumps, they do a few base jumps, they do a couple skydives in their wingsuit and they're like, okay, I'm ready. Take me to the nearest cliff and I'm going to huck off of it and, you know, fly away from it. I mean, when you see somebody doing like these amazing proximity flights and you think, wow, I sure would like to do that. It's got to be hard to tell yourself, oh, well, that's a year or two away oh, with a whole lot of work that. before. <laughs> yeah. Years and years and years of jumping um, and understanding flight characteristics of different wingsuits. And Scotty Bob, he's probably one of the most well-known top wingsuit proximity flyers out there. And he is incredible. And there's a few people um, that have opened cliffs in Moab that were always slider down cliffs. We, we call it slider down because your parachute opens a lot faster. You don't use a slider that basically slows the opening of your parachute and him and a few others have opened a number of jumps in moab that used to be just slider down cliffs and now people are wingsuiting off of them thanks to the technology with the wingsuits being able to inflate faster but also with people understanding how exactly they work and again years and years of practice and understanding it's pretty incredible so i'm assuming you still enjoy skydiving itself you've got skydiving you've got wingsuit skydiving and you've got base what do you get from them that's different they're similar activities and they're all based on skydiving Mm -hmm. obviously the sensation you get when you jump off of castleton tower versus out of an airplane is quite different so so i think a lot of people just think oh those guys just want an adrenaline rush but there has to be something more than that where you would just 
do the one thing that gives you the biggest adrenaline rush? Yeah. And that's a good question. For me, the underlying purpose of everything I do is the people. If it wasn't for the awesome community that the skydivers are, I probably wouldn't skydive as much as I do. It's always fun, no matter what, but the people are really what make it worth it. It's just a bond that you form with. I mean, that they're my family. They would do anything for me and I would do anything from that for them. And it's, dare I say, a lot more close-knit than the climbing community. And it's also a lot smaller community. I think the feeling you get from each is a little bit different. Um, you know, just regular skydiving where you're free-falling to doubling your free-fall time when you put on a wingsuit and being able to fly around and feel what it feels like to actually fly instead of fall is... It's amazing. And I I wish everybody could just go put on a wingsuit and experience it because it's incredible. And then the base jumping thing, it's for me, it's overcoming myself. Not necessarily fears, but just being completely in that moment. Even with skydiving, it's you have to be completely in that moment. You can't be thinking about other things because that's when stuff goes wrong. I think that would probably sum it up the best I could is it's just, it's a you can't explain it. It's a feeling you can't explain. And until you experience it, you'll never really understand it. I think it was Chris McNamara. I'm sure you're familiar with him, right? I don't think so. He he runs Super Topo. Okay. They make a lot of climbing guidebooks, uh-huh. and it's a website. And uh, he's, he's, he's pretty well known in the climbing community. And he also was a base jumper for a while and then okay. quit. He He wrote an essay about it, and I won't get into why he quit doing it. But he does say in that essay... That is like the best feeling you can ever have. It is amazing. <laughs> flight, like flight is amazing just in general. There's no words. There's a quote about it. I can't even remember who has the quote. <laughs> you know, what, like for those who, I wish I could remember how it goes off the top of my head, but it's, you know, for those who have experienced it, nothing can really tell you why it's so amazing. Uh, I'd have to find a certain quote, but... Yeah, there's there's no good way to sum it up until you got to experience it. Well, I can say personally, when I look around the world, people see like celebrities and all these other things, and they're jealous of those people, or they're jealous of this person, or they're jealous of this. The thing that I'm always jealous of is when I'm up at a high area, and I see birds just riding currents and flying through the sky and landing and just wishing that I could do that thing. And then I've always said, if there was, if I had my choice. People argue over like what superpowers they would have and all these things. And there's no question for me that being able to fly would trump any, I'll take it over $10 billion. I'll take it over anything. Yep. If I could say, if you could spend it in the sky, you would. Which is, which is why it's dangerous for me to, (laughs) to even begin the path. Yeah. Well, that's just like when I started base, you know, I did that jump and as soon as I think I even have it on GoPro, I was like, this is going to get out of hand real quick. Cause I didn't have gear. I was, you know, they rent your gear and I was like, man, I, I got to figure out how to buy some of this stuff so I can go jump off things. <laughs> so what are you, what are you working towards now? What do you have planned for the future? I, I'm trying to train for some, uh, like I said, the trip to Switzerland with some friends. Best way to train for that is jumping out of balloons, um, because it's dead air exits, um, trying to get your starts dialed, things like that. Once I get to my 500 jumps, I will go get my tandem rating so I can take people skydiving. I will get my AFF rating so I can teach people how to skydive. I think I'm going to do another triathlon. <laughs> There's Ironman St. George here this weekend, and I did it two years ago. And I think, I think that's in my future again. I want to I want to try and do it again. Other than that, I don't know. Uh, my job's keeping me busy during the week. Um, I've thought multiple times about, you know, doing the whole cutaway thing and going and living in a van and living at the drop zone and doing skydiving as a job and just kind of a dirtbag life, you know. I don't know. I guess we'll see where it goes. It's definitely a fun hobby, and that's why you don't mix your work and your hobbies, you know. That's but. right. If you love something, don't do it because it'll make you hate it, right? That's what people say. <laughs> exactly. So I think we should wrap it up. I, I think we've covered everything. I, I kind of forced you to talk mostly about base jumping instead of the other things you no, like to do. No, that's fine. But you don't come across that many base jumpers, so... I think it's it's something I've been wanting to talk about on this show for a while, so I'm glad we were able to do this. Is there anything, and not to put you on the spot, but is there anything that you would just want to leave everyone with in regards to anything that we talked about or something we didn't cover that you, you think it'd be important to say before we get to all your personal things like your Instagram page and things like that? I would say do your homework. 
don't jump into things that you don't really know what you're getting into. And that goes with anything, skydiving, base jumping, climbing, um, do your gear checks, be safe. There's no such thing as being too safe. You should never feel, I guess, ashamed or embarrassed by saying, Hey, can you check my gear for me? Or, Hey, does this not look right? Or, um, you know, double checking your, Hey, did you tie a knot in the end of that rope? So I don't repel off the end of it. Pull, pull the rope back up, take the time, have fun with, with what you're doing. And you can only put limits on yourself. There is nothing out there that's impossible. It's how much sacrifice you're willing to make in order to be able to do something. Uh, skydiving is a great example because it's expensive and every time you go, it costs you money, but you make the sacrifices you have to, whether it's not going to eat out or eating top ramen or any of those things that can save you a, a buck. Um, I mean, I funded most of my skydiving through donating plasma. I still donate plasma twice a week and it funds the majority of my skydiving and it helps out people and it saves people's lives, which is really the underlying reason why I do it. But yeah, that's what, that's what I would tell people is, uh, don't, don't be afraid to venture outside of, you know, your normal sports or anything like that and participate in, in something, you know, a little bit outside your comfort zone and, push your limits and anything is possible. I'm, I'm a firm believer that anybody could do anything they want to get up and at least just get outside. Oh, that's a good name for a show. Hey, <laughs> look at that. Linked two together. Yeah, wow. I have to hire you on in the marketing department. <laughs> if people think, man, this, this Levi guy who's not really named Levi sounds like a really cool dude. I want to keep up with what he's doing and I want to see him jumping and climbing and triathloning where can they go to do that my instagram is my main form of social media it's at duck power 89 it's d-u-c-p-o-w-e-r that's right duck without the k exactly duck power 89 that actually came from ducati i ride a ducati and my twitter handle is the same you can find me on facebook at levi Arnoni. Um, shoot me a friend request. I do have a blog. It's called when you're me at blogspot.com. That's like you are me, um, but with no apostrophe. Cause I don't think you can do that <laughs> in uh, URL. It also tends to confuse people even more when you start adding in punctuation. Yeah, exactly. So it's when you're me at blogspot.com. I don't post often to that. Most of the time, if I'm going to post, it's because I'm feeling super passionate about something or something's happened in my life that I felt like I needed to communicate with other people and let them in on my world. Those are the main forms of social media that I use. And then give them a little time and come out to Utah and let them take you tandem jumping. Yes, please. <laughs> please. I'll, I'll need. And give them a tip afterwards. Leave him a tip. Tips are appreciated, but not required. So when somebody goes to a jump zone and they jump with someone and they do a tandem, what is a, oh, that's nice tip. Oh, that's. That's a good tip, and that's a, oh, wow, I can't believe they left us that big a tip. Let's let the people know. Judging by people who have done tandems or you know do tandems on a regular basis, no, no tip is okay. But remember, it's like paying for a service. Essentially, did you have a good time? Did your instructor make you feel safe to some extent? Um, <laughs> did, uh, did they answer all your questions? What, were they fun to be around? Did they, you know, did they help you? Um, I would say twenty dollars is a is a good tip. I would say that's a normal tip for a skydive. I've seen people leave hundred dollar bills because they were ecstatic about what happened in the service. And I would say the thing to remember is we didn't just show up to the drop zone and learn how to do a tandem that day. We spent thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to get where we are, so that you can come and spend one hundred and eighty bucks to go on a jump. Whereas you know a, t a tandem skydiving rig costs about fifteen thousand dollars. So. Essentially, you have to do a couple hundred jumps to pay off that that rig itself. So don't be a bunch of cheap asses. Bring some $20 bills. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we accept ones, too. We, we like it when people make it rain on us. So. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll end the show with that image in everyone's head with with Levi leaping out of an airplane while someone makes it rain. Yeah, you can, you can tuck it right into my panty line. That's fine <laughs> with me. All right. Well, thanks for letting me come to your house and hang out in your backyard. And, and we'll have to give a quick shout out to Francisco for putting us together. Yes, thank you. Thanks for connecting us.
Welcome back to the Kirby Billingsby Hydro Park, where I'm sitting here recording this while Erica points a camera at my face as we continue our road trip. So, do you tip your waitress? Tip your tandem instructor. I hope that is a takeaway you got from today's show. And you may be wondering what Levi is up to. Well, he's up to a bunch of things. He and I got together just a few days ago as part of this road trip. I met up with him and a number of base jumpers over there in St. George, and we took a quick run over to the Virgin River Gorge where Erica and I videotaped them jumping off a 300-foot cliffside. So that will appear in this Tilt Web series we are putting together later in the year. So as soon as that is cut and ready to be released to the public, I will announce it here on the show and you'll be able to go check that out and see Levi in his own element. But other than that, he has done a number of things, including that Switzerland trip. And here to tell you all about it in Levi's own words is Erica. I just got back from Switzerland on September 7th. I spent two weeks there with a few friends and did 28 wingsuit base jumps. Coming up, I have a few trips to Moab planned for some climbing slash base slash skydiving. Also just regular weekend stuff like climbing, canyoneering, base jumping, etc. Still have possible plans for another Ironman in the future. My tandem course will take place in November and I will have the certification by the end of the month. People are welcome to contact me if they'd like for me to take them on a skydive. I recently accepted a sponsorship from Bad Seed Base. It's been great working with them, and I'm stoked to represent the company that did my course and mentored me along the way. And that's right. Now it is that time of the show. Time to go to the website, gogetoutside.com slash podcast. Look for episode 39, Levi Arnoni, and there you will find many, many things. Picks. Lots of picks of skydiving, base jumping, wingsuit flying. These are pictures you will want to see. And links, links to... Levi's Instagram, his Twitter, his Facebook, his blog, and his YouTube page, as long as helpful links to things like Apex Base, ID Base, that Sunshine Superman documentary we talked about, Levi's sponsors, Bad Seed Base and Nobby Underwear, including their Be Somebody campaign. And while you're there, do me a favor if you would. Send us a message. Go at ButcherBirdStudios.com. Let us know what you think about the show. Let us know what you think I look like based on my voice and if you too like Levi picture me in a business suit or if perhaps you picture me in a banana hammock and if you don't want to email us you can always call us at 818-925-0106 one last favor please do one if not all of these things immediately subscribe to the show rate the show review the show that would mean run over to Stitcher iTunes Google Play or wherever you consume this show and do those things subscribe rate review and one other thing that i don't usually ask you to do that i would love if you would do share this show with someone send it to someone you think will like this show next time lauren grabowski she is a self-proclaimed outdoor dilettante but she particularly has a huge love for cycling and bike packing. So come back November 1st for episode 40 of the Go Get Outside podcast. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>